Daniel D in the place to be coming at you live, Palm Springs Lodge 693. This is Masonic Muscle, and we're here at Palm Springs Lodge. We're uh, trying to finish up the lounge room. We just finished painting. Well, I finished painting my, my hands. I don't know what else I painted. But uh, Daniel Duardo, he started this little project for our lodge because he believes this should be a, a special experience. Uh, Daniel, what inspired you to want to paint that lounge? Well, I got tired of looking all the white walls all over the lodge, but I wanted a project that was manageable, and I saw that the lounge room would be easy to kind of transform because it's small, and we could make a huge difference just by painting it and moving furniture around and putting up some cool wall art. So I took that on first, and uh, we just painted about 85% of it today. We'll be done before stated meeting, and... Uh, We'll get the furniture back in there and see what everybody thinks. And if they don't like it, tough shit. Now, <clears throat> we've talked about a lot of uh, observing the craft, eight steps of excellence. And for you, you know, everything we do, uh, you, you've bought into that idea that everything we do, we should do it right and we should do it with quality. You just had, uh, you spearheaded the project to frame two of our flags Yes. Yeah, and and now you know you're you're ex you know extending that into this lounge that we got going. To you, quality over quantity, and then even though we have a small lodge, we should have everything the best, right? The best that we can, you know, have according to our budget, according to our time. How much time are you thinking? you know, you're going to spend on these projects? Well, like for the room example, I don't, I don't look at things as far as budget. I rather just find a way to get it done and do it right. And sometimes you can, you know, make a small amount of money and a, and a small amount of energy go a long way. You just got to really think about it, lay your plan out and don't wait for three committee meetings to get it done. Just jump in and do it. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to wait to ask for money. I just decided that I was going to do it and, and, you know, take that on myself and, and instead of spending money, you know, at a, at a restaurant this week, I was paint, buying the paint. And it's not a big deal because for me, it's an investment, not only in our lodge, but for myself personally, because I get a lot of out on lodge. So um, time frame, I, I'm not even worried about it. I, I The time goes by fast. We've been here for a couple hours. We've been talking and working at the same time. And it's it's not only enjoyable, but pain to me is therapeutic, you know, and I like the sense of accomplishment when you get done with everything and then you start to work afterwards and then everybody else gets to come in later and, and, and enjoy uh, the benefits like the the results our dining hall has been a uh, uh, point of pride uh, for our lodge especially because it has it's a it's a dining room slash lounge right it's got a mm -hmm. little bar area uh, it's a place where we like to go hang out after uh, before stated meeting uh, dinners, after stated meetings, and then during fellowship nights, and now uh, we're beginning, like I, you know, like we're talking about right now, we're extending now into another room. And this is a good point, a focal point, where we can sit down and have discussions with prospects. You've been you've been uh, engaging with prospects. What has your experience been so far with the prospects? Okay, so the first part of what, what you mentioned, I think that it's really important to set the mood no matter what you're doing. I, I came to a realization 
um, I would say about four or five years back, and, and then a lot of it had to do with my involvement in masonry. And I, I came to the realization that when you do things, if you approach it as if it's a, a, it's a ritual and you make it ritualistic, you're going to enjoy it ten times more. It's going to be meaningful. You're going to remember it, and it's going to stay with you. And if you start doing that with the things that are important to you, the things that are unimportant start to fall by the wayside, which is what you want in the long run. So um, anyways, uh, with the prospects, um, yeah, I've been getting to know one by one. Um, we've got uh, Cesar Cavalleres, who we just gave his first degree to. And then next coming up, we have Shane Arch. And probably really quickly behind him, we've got Big John. And um, I think it's really important that everybody in the lodge get to know them, but especially um, uh, you and I that are so much into the, I'm not going to say esoteric because Freemasonry by design is esoteric. And I'm tired of hearing that. It's, you know, the stuff we're doing is based on the second degree lecture. And um, we'll, anyways, there's a, that's a whole other discussion. But um, getting into the, getting to know them, um, I think it's really important because it's part of guarding the West Gate. You want to make sure that they understand what they're getting into because masonry's work. And I believe that you've got to really, really pound that into them every day that you see them and remind them. The last thing you want is an entered apprentice going through his first degree. And then afterwards, we give him all the stuff that he'll be working on over the next year or two years. And then they're kind of a looking like a deer with with the headlights in their eyes and they've got saucer plate eyes and and they're overwhelmed um i mean there's you you continue to guide them at that process but at the same time you don't want them to be caught off guard and you don't want to rush them through it you know there's a certain sequence that you should follow in order for it to give the effect that the the uh founders intended so you've got to pay real close attention to the the um way that you give them things, the order that you give them things, and how much you give them at one time. It's just like a like a plant. You can't give it all the fertilizer and no water. You can't give it all the water from the whole year in one day. You'll kill it. So it's the same thing. You, you've got to kind of nurture uh, from the time they're a prospect and, and beyond, but that's where it starts when they're, when they're a prospect. And so getting to know them is guarding the West Gate, which is really important at an observant lodge. And the way that we're doing things, as far as I'm concerned, is we are um, evolving into an observant lodge and we will eventually be an observant lodge um, going back to the eight steps of excellence and you want to make sure that not only are, are they know what they're getting to but we have to know what we're getting ourselves into with them and there has to be a mutual accord uh, between us that they understand there's going to be work involved we understand that we have to give them certain tools and teachings and time and spend you know, hours with them, so many hours a, a week and a month to make sure that that they're getting the uh, proper instruction that they deserve because this is something that can be very overwhelming. And if it's left to fester on its own, it, it can spiral out of control. And then next thing you know, you have another prospect or, or injured apprentice that you start seeing less and less until they disappear. Now, you mentioned... Uh we should be hammering them with work <coughs> that Freemasonry is work as many times as we can until they understand that Freemasonry is work. Yep. Yes. You know, you have to. And 
some of this is coming from you know you listen to the podcast and you you you've had some takeaways uh, just like I hope other listeners have had their own takeaways uh, from each episode and there's different messages uh, not different messages the message is the same different topics that we talk about but it keeps coming back over and over and over again masonry is work masonry you have to put in the work I can't do the lifting for you what are some of the takeaways you've had from listening to these episodes and other uh, you know other podcasts as well but mainly masonic muscle what are some of the takeaways for you well my situation is a little unique in the sense that i live three minutes away from you or five minutes of traffic but um <laughs> that whole whole idea really sunk in as i've mentioned to you before multiple times that listening to your podcast and i kept hearing you talking about working out and you kept saying that you have to do the lifting nobody can do the lifting for you you have to put in the work you have to stop thinking about it and analyzing it and making excuses and just do it and after hearing that so many times i decided to just go over there and show up one day and i think i texted you you know right before i came and you said yes this is when we do it and and i just showed up and uh didn't know what i was in for but i i because i don't i've never lifted weights consistently in my life i've never exercised consistently more than six months without you know it kind of going away and um fitness was never a uh, a big part of my um what i did on a daily basis and after after hearing that it it, it sunk in so much after the first couple of times that you not only have to exercise your body, but you have to exercise your mind. And in Freemasonry, we exercise our minds. But just as in the gym, nobody's going to do the lifting for you. You can't expect that the brethren are going to feed you everything and teach you everything. And that's it. You've, you've attained the secrets of Freemasonry because if you're not putting in work yourself, just like in the gym, if you're not uh, being consistent and monitoring your... Yeah, you're basically your your p's and q's I call them, but it's your weight every week. You know, you you don't you don't ego lift and you don't try to push more than other guys. You just try to make sure you don't hurt yourself like I didn't, like Steve Sanchez did. And <laughs> and you 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 have to you know sometimes back up and 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 do a little analyzing and and look at your form. And it's the same thing in masonry. You got to back up sometimes. You got to analyze your form, your approach, and uh, but you continue to learn, and the only way you're going to continue to learn is by, one, reading, two, talking with others that are like-minded, three, showing up to lodge, and uh, four, getting involved, five, I mean, participating, which is a little bit different than getting involved, and and basically putting in work. So it's it's physical and mental, and there is a connection. I never would have dreamed there is, but there is absolutely a connection, just in the same way that C.T. Fletcher screams at his biceps when he's when he's doing his curls, he says, grow, motherfucker, grow. I'm telling you to grow, you know, and, and, and yeah, the same thing, you, you know, and I, it's funny cause I started doing that too. Uh, and, uh, I, I never made that mind body connection, but it, there is definitely a mind body connection. And there's definitely, um, if you want to grow your mind and your body, you know, you, well, let me take, if you want to see growth, you got to really work on both because if you're in bad health, you're not going to sleep as well. You're not going to digest your food as well. You're not going to breathe as well. And breathing is a big part of, of just basically, you know, having a, a good um, flow of oxygen to help the blood flow to your brain and, and through the rest of your body. And, and when something's lacking there, then it's going to lack upstairs as well. 
And so the the connection once once that clicked in my head, it's like everything changed for me. And I was addicted to working out. I was I could not wait for Mondays. I remember being in Vegas and racing back home and getting there five minutes late. And Caesar telling me, looking at his watch, I'm like, man, I just came back from Vegas from my workout. You're telling me I mean, about five minutes. Muscle Monday, baby. <laughs> Fuck that. Yeah, sure as you're on time. But you're right. You're right. And <clears throat> if you take it. And, you know, as above, so below, right? Because you're talking about uh, working out your, your physical body. But when you're working out your, your mental muscle, your little lizard brain, as I, as I call it. Yes. Um, you have to do your reading. You have to. And Masonry offers you something different that many, many other organizations do not offer you. And that is your um, memorization. Yes. Because when you begin to memorize, you're beginning to access different parts of your brain which is i always wondered why when i came when i first joined here how these older members were so active they looked vibrant they didn't look like normal old guys okay and so as i started researching what i found out was that the act of memorizing the act of reciting things activated your brains in different ways that other things couldn't and so this is part of the reason but also reading you yes. do reading and yes. you have books. What are some of your favorite books, you know, that you have? You have a big library. I've seen yes. it before. I've been to your house and I'm pretty sure it's grown since the yes. last time I'm there. It has. Um, you know, what, what are some of your favorite books? What are some books that you are reading right now? So I just uh, started reading a book about the um, the way that music and sound affect us spiritually. Um, and... I just got into, I just started the first chapter, but one of my favorite books is the Hiram key. I love the way yeah, that hell yeah. that goes back into the um, Knights Templar and the possible, you know, connections between everything uh, Templar versus everything Masonry. And uh, <clears throat> there's another book that is called Power Versus Force. And uh, this gentleman, the author was a doctor and he came up with this system that when he was telling the truth he had more strength and when he was when he was somebody was not telling him the truth he had more weakness so if something was true he would he would use his granddaughter to um, use an example and there's videos of this on YouTube where he had her hold a book and he would tell her a lie and he would push down on the book and he didn't take him a lot of force to push it down and, and, and then it would look her arms would lower and then he would say something that was true and he would tell her the same thing, hold on with all your force. When he pushed down, it took a lot more force for that book to get pushed out of her hands. And she didn't know, you know, whether he was telling the truth or not. She, was, she must have been seven years old. So the, that's a, um, one of my new favorites. Um, he's got quite a few books, but I think that one is the best one out of all of them. And then um, the, another one that I just started uh, reading again, which I've read a couple times, which you turned me. I saw in your library a long time ago because... I don't even think I ever told you this, but um, the other would look at your library and you stepped out of the room and started taking pictures of everything. And then I would go on <laughs> Amazon <laughs> and order, you know, two or three books at a time. Still in my secrets. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, the secrets in your notes, I would yeah. see your notes and be like, holy crap, look at all this stuff. So yeah, I started thanks. marking up my books, too, you know, and that's why I don't like to loan out books or borrow books, because I, I just mark it, the shit out of everything. But um, the um, the financial vipers of Venice and mm, uh, the yes. Babylon, uh, Banksters of Babylon. Oh, by yeah. uh, Joseph P. Farrell. The, those are uh, great books, and that uh, 
if you are curious about the, uh, I would say what you call, quote unquote, the Illuminati or the um, banking cartel, that is a great place to start. Um, and um, I'm also looking at one around called the Secret Archives of the Vatican, which we talked about earlier, um, not about the book, but just about what they've gotten there. So I, I usually read about two, three things at a time. And I bounce back and forth. Uh, the, the other one I'm working on right now is called Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell and breaks it down so so simply that it's like, how can you not get this? And I don't understand how there's some college students, I say a lot of college students where you ask them about economics and they look at you like, I don't even know what gender I am. You want me to talk about economics? <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah. I think that's a, that's a great one. My son was actually uh, uh, reading part of that in in uh, his, his uh, econ- I think it's economics that he has. And um, and so I just ordered the hard copy because I had read it a long time ago and we're, I'm reading it again along with him. I mean, we don't read it together, but I'm just reading it as he's reading it in class. All right. <coughs> we're sitting here in the library, so if you're, lis- if you're hearing all kinds of creaking and stuff like that because these chairs are old, uh, yeah, we're, we're having a whiskey. As a matter of fact, you know, you, ne- you need to... Uh, uh, fill me up there. Reload. Reload. And uh, we're testing out some new equipment. So, you know, when this goes up, that you're going to know, you're going to see, hear the difference. And you're going to appreciate it, hopefully. Now, speaking of reading, I recently did a uh, podcast where I interviewed Jerry Allen Dago, and it was the top 10 books uh, of the millennium. And it highlighted the need and the desire of members as they're coming in, the newer generation Masons, they're looking for something special. They're looking for something unique. They're looking for something hidden. Yes, this is my belief too, yes. And so we have a library here. It's big. Um, I don't know. We have maybe 2,000, maybe 3,000 books in here and every lodge should have their own library so that people yes. and it, and the books aren't just about freemasonry they're about anything and everything you can imagine and so i've had members come in and say why do we have those books up there you know they, they've got nothing to do with masonry well freemasonry is encouraging us to have a virtuous education uh-huh renaissance man virtuous education a strong education an education a well-rounded but when you get to something that you really like, then that's what you begin to focus on, and that's probably going to be your your niche. You know, what's your niche when you when it comes to books? History, absolutely. History and spirituality are my two. I've always been a, a big history buff. Um, Adam Smith, um, Wealth of Nations, which was written 1773, 74, right before our revolution. And... Um, Anything about pre-American Revolution and and between then and the Civil War, um, anything about the uh, ancient Rome and, and in the Greeks, Egyptians, um, even um, ancient religions fascinate me quite a bit because uh, you have all these sacred texts and our you know we focus on our Bible because we're used to seeing it here everywhere. But I'm starting to delve into the other sacred texts and uh, it's funny uh, you mentioned this in one of your podcasts. Um, I think it was either you or, or um, Jariel, but they all have a lot of overlapping similarities. It's in the semantics where they differ. I think I actually heard that today. 
and um and it's true uh and it reminded me of our prospect shane arch who said uh you know he heard us um having a discussion with another um prospect and the prospect was really focused on the semantics of, of the it wasn't an argument it was just a discussion we were having and when he stepped in and he said you know you guys are saying basically the same thing it sounds like it's just semantics and semantics make i think all the difference in the world i mean you can have a war start over the wrong translation of a sentence it happens with me all the time in spanish is i got to bring in my wife sometimes to translate for me just when we're dealing with something really important i want to make sure i don't leave out you know one syllable or one accent on a word if it's something that's really important it has to do with money or, or anything legal so um and uh let's see so history spirituality um and and those two go on forever um a little bit of politics but that kind of burnt me out you know with all the stuff going on right now so i've kind of gotten away from it but i know i'll always go back to that so words right words and in bi in in the bible <coughs> what do we hear you know in the beginning da, 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 and and the word uh, so we uh, here at palm springs lodge we started something called the trivium i've yes. mentioned it i mentioned it very sparingly because i want to begin to introduce that to the listeners uh and and have a regular flow of it but basically it's grammar logic and rhetoric for those of you master masons or fellow crafts you guys know what i'm talking about and the word is very important and you're t you were mentioning right now uh, the semantics right which is which is grammar the mm -hmm. rhetoric the rhetoric and it's very important that one of the one of the uh important things we do at any trivium discussion group Socrates slash socrates cafe is we bring out these bibles i mean the bibles well the bibles of words we bring out these uh, dictionaries and we bring out yes. dictionaries going from the oldest to the newest. Yeah. And why? Because a lot of times they change the definitions yes. of, of words, which begins to change how we understand what we're talking about. And we've come upon it on a number of different discussion groups that we've had where we see when we take out the dictionaries and we begin to look up the word and the dictionaries themselves are contradicting each other yes. or not agreeing, right? And we're like, okay, yes. so then what are you talking about? So when it comes to semantics, we are very well aware of it. Uh, for those of us who are practicing the trivium, the way our degrees tell us to practice it, what has it been your experience with the trivium so far and what is really what turned you on to it so okay the first part of that about the dictionaries uh, we have just so you know we have dictionaries that go over I think 150 to 170 years in print uh, all the way up until we use um, online dictionaries and actually so I would guess it's more than 200 years and it always confused me I guess a little bit fascinated me but I was more curious anything than anything at all as to why the definitions would change but then I'll give you a couple of uh, real-world examples of how they've just changed before our eyes. And, and these are three words, and I've seen them change pretty quickly within the matter of, of months as, as situations were starting to fold out, unfold. And those are the wor these words are pandemic, mandate, and virus. And, right. and so I've seen how 
entities that were considered quote unquote authorities would start to change their definitions in real time um, on their on their official websites and they don't do it and announce it they just quietly do it and it became apparent to me for the first time as to why or how this would happen so you know it's one thing when the times are changing and uh, words kind of get outdated or they start to mean something different in an area and then it kind of just spreads i've seen that with slang um from you know from brooklyn all the way to los angeles but not so much with words that were in Webster's Dictionary until I saw these three examples. Um, what was the other part of the what you asked? What has what has been your experience with the trivium oh, yes. and, and uh, yes. practicing it in and a group? And what got me into it? Yeah, what you know what, but also what I can add to that is what has been your experience and like uh, how has how has it began to help you? Uh, understand because what you're talking about is a direct result of us practicing the trivium. You're, yes. you're, you, you're sensitive to that, so you you saw the changing of the definitions. They began to uh, cause more confusion, right? Instead of them helping mm -hmm. us, all of a sudden, yes. more and more people were confused, and now it's causing more anxieties. But you know what has been your experience with the trivium? So the the probably the biggest thing that I got from the trivium was how to sift through the 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 bullshit, basically how to differentiate from what is propaganda and what is um, truth, if you will. Because we know that we, we've talked many times that fact isn't always truth uh, because you can basically create facts and, and make things facts, but it's not always the truth. And, um, and the trivium has helped me to not only understand what I'm reading better uh, when it comes to some of these uh, more, um, I would say... I don't want to say sophisticated. They're just sometimes these older books are sound like the seem like they're written by, by, like a law book, if you will. Um, but it's helped me to to one not just believe anything that I'm told. Um, when I was growing up, to me the news was always correct. It was always truth. I never questioned it. Now I don't really even listen or watch the news. And what little I do. I will tear it apart and dissect it and look for multiple sources, which is the way we should be doing. You shouldn't ever just take something and take it at its face value. If I tell you or somebody that you, you look up to tells you or or even um, somebody that you've known all your life, I mean, the, there's going to be a point where you can't do it all the time, but you should definitely not just rely on one source for everything. Uh, because that source doesn't always have, I would say, the the truth of the matter, no pun intended. Uh, and, and some of them are actually not telling the truth on purpose. So, and again, that's that goes into a whole other rabbit hole. But um, the trivium has helped me with processing my thoughts, um, translating them onto paper, and also uh, expressing them to other people in a way that could be understood um, a little bit better, actually, I think a lot better. And uh, it's helped me to become more coherent and to understand information that um, is flowing in, into my little lizard brain, as you would say. That's right. That's right. Now, um, I think in October, <coughs> excuse me, I think it was in October, we had a surprise, and that was uh, our original uh, Keystone 
guy, uh, Matt Jackson. Yes. Uh, he showed up and he keystone. And he he allowed me to keystone it, right? But he was there. Um, but he, you know, Matt Jackson has a way of being able to keystone it. He comes well prepared, uh-huh. and he makes the he he puts the question to you. So in a trivium or a Socrates, you know, a tile d- uh, type discussion group, the moderator, or we've called we've deemed him a keystone here at uh-huh. at yes. Freemasonry, you know, because we we Masonicized it. If that's even a word, um, <laughs> it is now. Yeah, it is now. We. Their only job is to continue to press the question and then ask more questions to anything you say. Yeah. And because of that, it causes you to really think about what you're about to say. Yes. And it forces you, you better be sure about what you're about to say because you're going to be questioned. You're going to be you're going to be asked to clarify and you're going to be asked probably other questions that you didn't think about. You're just spitting that stuff out. That's right. Making us critical thinkers, making us forcing our critical thinking skills to begin to get exercise, which is lacking in our society. And I I read an article saying that part of what Freemasonry is supposed to do is exactly that. And now that we're trying to revive that here at this, at Palm Springs Lodge number 693, uh, through the use of the Trivium discussion group slash Socrates Cafe, uh, we've had some pretty interesting discussions. What is one of the more memorable ones that you can think of? Oh, we had a good one about death. And why, Um, why though, why that? I think it put into perspective um, a lot of the things that I had wondered about with um, the afterlife and things that were said in the Bible and um, just different approaches to is there an afterlife and why different people believe that there was or was not. It was just a fascinating discussion. That one really stuck with me. Do you remember there was a member here that day? Um, He... He was quiet the whole time, but out of the blue, he says, I died once. I do. I do remember Remember him. Yes, I do. And, uh, I mean, the room, the dining room got quiet. Yes. And so we're like, what the hell? And now the focus is on him, right? Yes. And so he shared an experience uh, with us and he said that he was outside his body hovering and uh, the doctors were working on him. He saw all of it. He even heard what they were saying and uh, and he came back. And so he was, um, and I wish I can remember the, the, the name. I'm sorry, brother, if, if I don't remember your name right now. That's okay, but I don't either. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, he really... He, it wasn't a Debbie Downer moment. It was like, what the hell? So let's begin to hammer him now yes, with, with questions. And it was very enlightening. At first, we were very hesitant because nobody wants to talk about death. But now, all of a sudden, this comes up, and it opened the doorway. It was because of the trivium. It was because we were practicing grammar, logic, and rhetoric. We were questioning. 
we were exploring. No one was right. No one was wrong. It was just us um, allowing our own innate genius to come out. And a lot of prospective members and also members said, you know what? That's one of the reasons why I joined, because I thought this was going to happen. Yes. And it never did. And so um, this is why we continue to press forward with this. Um, at our lodge, we encourage others to do it, but it is work. It is work. It's coming back to this, you know, you said something earlier, you know, Freemasonry is work. That's part of it. I say it all the time, and I definitely instill that in the prospects every time I'm spending time with them so that they understand that, you know, all this, it's it's great to experience what we experience in the trivium discussions and it, all the mystical things that, that you don't know yet that make it romantic, you know, that that's great too, but it is also work and not not so much physical work which there is some physical work involved but it's more mental work and that it will increase and that there will be expectations and that you need to remember that it is work it takes work for a lodge to function properly to have harmony in it for it to grow for it to prosper it will be something that will make your experience in masonry great if you have the expectation you go through the steps and you embrace it and you do it the way that the founders intended which is what i believe that we're rapidly moving towards you will have a mind-blowing experience that will stay with you forever and you will continue to have it as long as you are involved in masonry and as long as you are practicing what masonry teaches you, what true masonry teaches you. You have three degrees and three degrees only. Everything else, it's like they're, they're the, uh, the side dishes or the desserts, but the main meal, the main course, the one that you can't do without, the one that makes the meal is the three degrees in Blue Lodge. And if done correctly and done solemnly, like, like we talk about in the eight steps of excellence, it will change your life. There was a couple of um, explorations of masonry that we've done, but one of them that uh, you've always ranted and raved about was Masonic astronomy. Yes. And... I remember I did one, I did an explorations down in Coachella Lodge, 476. And then um, as we began to help Palm Springs Lodge get back on its feet, I did another one and you came and you were taking notes and you were like, man, you know, wh where are you getting this stuff from? Why does that intrigue you so much, Masonic astronomy? Well, I'll, I'll refer to stellar theology and, and how it breaks it down so st stellar theology and Masonic astronomy. And Masonic astronomy, okay. yes. Okay. Um, as above, so below. If you want an example of that, well, that would be the first place that I would, I would uh, guide you to is read that book. Uh, a big part of what was designed by 
the founding the founding fathers of Freemasonry, I believe, has to do with astronomy. And that's why it's, I mean, it's part of the seven classical liberal arts and sciences. We're talking about the trivium, but you also have the quadrivium, which is algebra, geometry, music, and astronomy. Arithmetic. Arithmetic, okay. sorry. Yeah. And, uh, and astronomy. And astronomy um, is, it's, it's the one that allows things to expand exponentially. And to me, studying that will allow your mind to take certain ideas and expound them exponentially. And that could be anything from very simple tasks that you do in your everyday life to something as far as meditating to the point where you feel like you're having astral projection and you're leaving your your body and, and, and you're in a whole different place, space, and time. And, um, and I believe that learning about astronomy and studying astronomy along with with arithmetic and geometry can guide you to a place like that if you really practice and believe and work towards that you you need astronomy to help you facilitate that because you are your mind is amongst the the stars in the heavens if you ever are able to get yourself to that realm or what about the the place of music then? Because music helps you get, you know, into meditative states as well. Music, yes, absolutely. And I'm a musician, you know, and and, um, and it's funny because I had kind of uh, stepped away from from being so into music as far as playing guitar. And then when I um, went through the second degree, and at this time, you know, we we were we hadn't really started talking about the trivium yet. I remember the first time that I found this book on Amazon and I ordered it and I brought it to one of our cigar lounge uh, discussions before there was even a trivium discussion and, and I remember showing it to you and asking you about it and we started you know talking about it and we were at the same time talking about the uh, astronomy and everything else and um, I remember that you and Dave had uh, drew, drew something out for me um, in regards to the way that the universe expands and I mean all that stuff you know it, it, sitting down with you guys for 30 minutes and I was completely overwhelmed with my mind spinning but it was in a good way because I, I had just like you know boom you, you made my head explode again and uh and it's a lot to take in you know the sponge can only absorb so much at a time and you've got to digest it and then um, and then you you know you move on and you're ready for more um but i remember at that time uh the trivium was only it wasn't even mentioned as the trivium in in the lecture uh, but i just came across it and i remember being so fascinated with it and um, and it kind of just organically happened that we all went in that direction. You guys were already, you know, in in your your kind of uh, um, path of doing things, and and it was really focused on astronomy. But this kind of tied them all together. And then with the music, for me, I got me really back into music, and I started to understand more of the concept of why it's in the um, the classical liberal arts and sciences, and it has a lot to do with two things: one, um, timing. Um, in a linear fashion, but also with harmony. And harmony is something that you get when every note and all the timing with multiple people or multiple instruments is correct. And when you hit certain notes with certain timing with a certain amount of instruments and or people, you can go into a euphoric state. And I've had it happen to me 
a couple of times and it's better than any drug I ever messed with as a kid. I mean, it was something that really just, you know, blew me away. And it was, to me, it was the same, like, guess the, the kind of effect that you're looking for when you meditate. But as a musician, because I had, you know, ability to control the sound frequencies and the timing and the, and the, um, the dissonance and the, um, the vibrations myself, you know, I was able to manipulate it a little bit better and, and I was just blown away. And so uh, that made me just dive into it all the more and all the other, cause there's a reason everything in masonry is for a reason. And don't let anybody ever tell you that, you know, just memorize this and you ask why and I say, don't worry about it. No, you, if they don't tell you why go out and search for the answer. Cause that happened to me and it turned me off so bad. It really put me off. Because I understood even back then that everything in masonry was for a reason. So, you know, you, you're going to spend the rest of your life looking for, for some of the reasons, and some of them you'll find right away. But if you, if you seek, you will find. And music and the seven classical liberal arts and sciences have helped me put my rap, rap masonry and all the things that are in it, wrap my brain around it and to comprehend it and to understand it all the more. Now you've come and gone <clears throat> um, with the activity being active in lodges and stuff. Now you're back and uh, you're putting in some work. Well, you got to bring up old stuff. <laughs> well, because everybody goes through it. Yeah, Every, that's everybody, true. <laughs> uh, you know, ebbs and flows. Uh, th that's why they're in music. You know, the, the, the music has octaves and yes, it's it a does. wave. And and so everything goes through periods of uh, major activity, and then it, you know less activity and things like that. But yes. now that you're a little bit more active, what what really is uh, the driving force uh, for you wanting to uh, contribute more, uh, be a little bit more active, and see where you can help? What's what's you know driving you? Well, first I think I should explain uh, the two different reasons of why I took breaks, you know, one of them had to do with what we experienced, a lot of us experienced in different lodges, which was drama that was really unnecessary. That was a complete waste of time, which is, has nothing to do with masonry. And the other one was, uh, I just started a business and, um, you know, family with my son being uh, in grade school and which now he's about to graduate from high school. And, uh, and now my, my business has matured to the point where I'm not a slave to it anymore. My wife and I should say, because we're, we're co-owners of it and we're not slaves to it anymore. We have help. Um, and we're not slaves to the everyday activity or the cash flow of it. So that was a part of it. But the thing, and I don't know if I ever told you this either, but uh, one of the times that I came back, I kept seeing the trivium discussions and I kept seeing the emails and I kept seeing the subjects and I kept <laughs> thinking, Man, it's like as if these guys are purposely picking a subject that they know will draw me back. I felt like the Godfather. Once I'm out, they drag me back in. <laughs> and it was those, those, you know, those things that that really I said, okay, that's it. I have to go. And and, and it happened twice. It was the uh, the it was the trivium. It was the trivium discussions. It was the subjects that they were talking about. I remember once was I had missed something on hermeticism. I think it was, and it's, I was so pissed off that I missed it. And I said, that's it. I'm going back. I'm I'm going back. I'm going to find the time. And, and right about that same time, the last time, was uh, when um, all this COVID stuff started and it created drama for everybody. And Grand Lodge first tried to tell us, you know, that w we had to be following their mandates. And then we, you know, were 
basically we figured out through you uh, that we're autonomous and we don't we don't it, it doesn't work that way we represent we we elect the people in Grand Lodge and we have a system very similar to our system here in the United States where we run our lodges the way we're supposed to as long as we're in the guidelines of the Grand Lodge they don't tell us what to do we all create these laws we have representatives that we send from lodge up to Grand Lodge anyways it's a whole process you've explained it before on the podcast I've heard it a couple of times and and I didn't I didn't realize that but at the time it it, re- it stopped everybody in its tracks but we were still doing the you guys were doing the trivium via zoom and i and i was i was protesting zoom because i was protesting a lot of the things that were going on with all of the the mandates and all of the um forced shutdowns and wearing the diapers on your face and um and so we um we got to a point where i started getting more showing up to the zooms um and being more involved and then that's when i heard your podcast you had started your podcast and that's where I came across the no one can do the lifting for you. And that was just a, um, it was um, a call to action. A call to action. Yeah. It was a call to action and it was one that just gripped me and would not let go. And and then, you know, lo and behold, I'm working out with you guys and I'm addicted to working out and and uh, and I'm getting healthy and the, the fat is just dripping off and I'm losing weight without even changing my diet. And I'm not even doing any cardio at this point, but I'm feeling like I, I leave, I leave, I left there feeling like a man every single time I went. And I'd never had that sensation before where I just felt like a, you know, like a strong man that is doing things that, that men do to bond together and to help themselves out. And to, you know, we had a, a at the very end, we had the, the circle where we did gratitude and we also did a prayer and that was really cool too. So, um, that was it, it just stuck with me that the, no one can do the lifting for you and I was able to translate that from the workout into the workout and lodge which you know it's it's great that we have the trivium it's part of it the camaraderie is great but also there's work to be done in the stated meetings and then behind the scenes and a lot of people don't think about what goes on behind the scenes to make all this happen you know and, and we've had a couple of discussions about that but there's you know now that I'm doing stuff in the the part of the temple board and, and painting and helping out with little things and um, I'm realizing how much goes into just the very simple everyday operations just to keep a, a really modest lodge like ours afloat with being kicked with this COVID stuff and having all of the excuse me um, varying opinions with members just in the lodge which can be heated when it came to this stuff because it got political and it shouldn't have been, but it was. And, um, and it really takes a lot to keep all this flowing in a way that is conducive to being able to enjoy things like the trivium discussion and, and having uh, quality degrees that are solemn and taken seriously where people aren't just joking around and laughing and in lodge or, or, you know, I remember one of, one of the, the, I think probably one of the worst things I ever experienced in a lodge was during a third degree guys were joking and in inside the lodge as the candidate was circling and you think the guy can't hear you you can hear a pin drop like in in the on the carpet and these guys are joking around I remember thinking man this guy is paying attention because he's blindfolded so all of his other senses are heightened in his hearing his smell and he's hearing these guys act like jackasses during his third degree, we're, we're about to raise this guy. 
And I remember thinking, this is, this is, I guarantee you, not what the founding uh, fathers intended for, for masonry. It's the opposite. And it goes back to the eight steps of excellence. I mean, I was correct in my assumption of that because when I read the eight steps, I was like, wow, this is what I always expected from a lodge, which is why I ended up over here versus the lodge where I, where I was raised. One of the things that uh, we've really uh, picked up our game, and thanks, <coughs> it's thanks to one of our members. He's a chef, Hector Mignon. And there's nothing like breaking bread, you know, over a well-prepared meal with a lot of love. Absolutely. With, with um, you know, his, his expertise. And so Hector has really brought up uh, our game as far as meals and meal because it's always a three-course meal. That's just for a stated meeting. Right. And when you have that, which is part of the eight steps of excellence, right? One of them says, you know, you have to be willing to have uh, a quality activities or assembly, something like that, and be willing to pay for them. And yes. This adds to what you're saying, you know, the bonding process. This adds to, and it's normally a, a, a very nutritious meal. We have a nice salad and then a nice proportioned meal with, a, you know, a, a steak, some grilled veggies, maybe a potato, maybe some, some other, uh, you know, a veggie. Yeah, you're making me hungry. I know, uh, <laughs> me too. <laughs> and the work all these little things that go into it all it takes is for brothers to begin to pay a little bit more attention to details uh, uh you know a little bit more um be a, being aware of of what it takes dago always says they it's it's the details brother it's it's the details that nobody else is paying attention to even to a uh, how you greet members or prospective members as they come in, yes. make them feel part of something special, and then grow that. You begin to grow that little by little, little by little, until finally you get to the point to where you're ready to have a discussion. Should this guy have an application? Should we proceed on with this over here? Um, what about uh, you know a stated meeting? What else should we cut out so that we can get to Masonic education during the meeting? Because we tend to have more Masonic education now that we've chopped everything down and brought it down to it's like bare bones, right? Just yes, hey, you got to get down to business. Stop, stop messing around. Stop uh, uh, fiddling around. It, you had one whole month to reach out to the master or one of the principal officers to state your business. And now all of a sudden, during state of meeting, you want to get up and pontificate. That's when you get shut down. That's in re out of respect to the rest of the members' time, mm. officers, and also to make this you know, uh, as short as possible so that we can get onto the most important part of any meeting. That's the fellowship. Yes, and I, and I love the fact that we have an hourglass, and it's a mm -hmm. symbolic. We turn it over, and uh. you know, we know that we've got to, because it said it's an expectation. we got to get through this, and then we got to include our Masonic education part of it. Otherwise, we are not doing our duty as, as a lodge. 
and everybody pays attention to it and sometimes you get off track and that thing is staring right at you it's the elephant in the room that hey we need to get back on track you guys can you know joke around whatever you want to joke around or we can ask these questions when we're done because not all these questions need to be asked during the state of meeting and recorded let's get through it let's get our masonic education and then we can get back out there because usually we have prospects waiting uh, for the meeting to end so we can have some uh, camaraderie and and libations and um, i think that was something that we never really had at the lodge i was raised at until actually when when you and and uh and dave matthew and and um, the other guys came along and i really enjoyed that part of it you know it's it's something that i think that you can't just have the meeting you gotta you gotta include some kind of learning some kind of education some something for us to chew on besides all of the yeah let's pay our bills and yeah you know that's something that we've got to do but now that we're through that our purpose as a fraternity is to teach and to learn and we also do a lot of learning by teaching in masonry so i think that it's crucial to have that in a stated meeting i mean we sh we have it all the time but you should definitely have it in a stated meeting and with that brother it's been great this is a good start you know uh to maybe is part one of maybe hopefully many other parts. And I hope that you continue to enjoy the, the camaraderie, the fellowship, the hard work that has to be put in to running any organization, let alone a Masonic Lodge. Yes. And uh, thank you for spearheading this project over here that has inspired me to want to sit down with you and, uh, begin to interview you, you know, and, and converse with you and record it and use it as, you know, more Masonic education for people who are willing to listen. Uh, so I want to acknowledge that. I want to acknowledge your efforts. Thank you. Uh, do you have any last words for anybody and everybody that's willing to listen? Uh, yeah, I just want to say one more time that if you're at a lodge where you're learning memorization and you ask your coach what something means, and they tell you, don't worry about it, that should be a red flag to you. If you're at a lodge where they're not practicing Masonic education consistently, on at the very minimum, a monthly basis, that should be a red flag for you. These are all things that I had to learn the hard way. And if you're listening and you don't feel like you've gotten the experience from where you're at that you were looking for, then keep looking because it is out there. There are more and more lodges that are starting to become observant lodges. And if you want to know more about observant lodges, Caesar mentioned it in one of his uh, most recent um, podcasts, but it is the um, Masonic uh, Restoration, res Restoration Foundation, Foundation mm -hmm. um, org, And look at that website. And I believe you told me Andrew Hammer is the president of the organization, but they are not an affiliate organization they are just a group of masons that are trying to help other masons get their lodges back to being observant lodges and following the eight steps of excellence yeah and maximize their experience because we all deserve the the most uh well maximum experience that you can have in a lodge and if it's not what you think and if it's not that then uh you know, visit these websites, begin to study up, 
begin to ask questions, listen to some of these other podcasts where they're talking about that and how to improve the experience and then go about trying the, to uh, fix it and make it better. So this has been, this. I'm Cesar Rubio, this is Masonic Muscle, and this has been another strong episode where we talk about anything and everything Masonic, but especially about Masonic Muscle and strengthening your little lizard brain. And really quick, go to, go to Instagram, Masonic Muscle, follow the page, you'll see us working out. I'll be back soon, I have an injury, I'll be back soon, I can't wait, but he's got great content on there, and the channel is growing by the day so check it out thank you and peace out